Welcome to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. I am Warren Munson, the host of the podcast, where founders, entrepreneurs, business leaders and experts from a variety of sectors are interviewed to explore the link between personal and business success. In line with Evolve's principles, we also look at the importance of personal development, accountability and collaborative support in the pursuit of meaningful success. Through the insights of our guests, as well as my own business journey, the aim is to inspire you, the listener, to become better in life and in business. Welcome to this week's episode. My guest is Glenn St. John Colgan, Managing Director of Augmentus, which provides expert-led managed procurement services and also assists the private sector to bid for and deliver public sector opportunities. Prior to Augmentus, Glenn enjoyed a successful career consulting into senior levels of the UK civil service within Whitehall, as well as working and leading organisations across a number of sectors, from consulting, security, to even champagne importing. Glenn has a special interest in strong business principles and hard work, who enjoys investing in and dealing with good people with good ideas that can benefit society. I was keen to sit and have a chat with Glenn, particularly around the subjects of navigating the public and private sectors, what he's learned from working and investing in diverse businesses, as well as the work he's doing as a non-exec for the WISE Group. So today, Glenn gives valuable advice for SMEs wanting to tender in the public sector. Understand what they're actually wanting. So sell to the customer what they want to buy, not what you're selling reveals the principles that guide his investment decisions. It's where people actually want to do better and they want to give something back. There's an altruism. They might get a personal benefit out of it, but there's an altruism to actually trying to do the right thing again. And has some profound things to say about the nature of leadership. There's a difference between uh, personal ambition and professional ambition. And when, when the ambition is outside of yourself, you become an enormously better person, a better leader and better colleague. If you want to learn more about the services offered by Evolve, our coaching, our peer groups, our events, we've got our business festival coming up in October, then please do go to evolvemembers.com. But for now, let's get on with the show. Glenn, welcome to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Thank you, Warren. It's lovely to be here. My first. Your first ever podcast. Well, I'll be kind to you, Glenn. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, I'm really looking forward to today's conversation around kind of leadership. And you've got some strong business principles. I know I want to cover those off. I want to cover off some of the investments you're making. Obviously, procurement has been your thing over the years. So we'll focus on that during the course of the conversation, I'm sure. But you spent nearly 20 years supporting the UK civil service before forming Augmentus in 2015. So I suppose an opening question will be, tell us a bit about that experience pre-forming Augmentus and why Augmentus came about. So um, it's a good place to start. A lot of people don't really understand the civil service or the public sector. Mm. Uh, And the way I got into it, I was private sector all the way up to to arriving at this point. And a couple of the executives of the company I was working for at the time were poached into the public sector to try and bring the commercial skills of the private sector in back in 2003. And I was part of that poaching. Uh, So I, uh, I and a small group went into the Department of Health 
and tried to do things differently, I think is the way that it was done. And that wasn't to say that it was being done badly. And I think that's the misnomer about the public sector is that it's all woe and it's terrible, where it actually genuinely isn't. Um, one, of, one of the key things I've, I've learned from the public sector is it's just like the private sector in many, many ways. They have some fabulous people, highly committed, altruistic, there for doing the right thing. And like all organisations, they have some that are just turning up and going yeah. home at the end of the day. I suppose the hardest challenge that I found working with the public sector was actually one about uh, communication. It's very, very different to the private sector. Uh, it's very much about diplomacy and not about confrontation. Mm. Uh, and the challenge that why is that a challenge for me is because I'm I'm from Yorkshire. I try to blame my heritage because I'm uh, somewhat blunt and direct <laughs> <laughs> and quite direct. So so it, it has taught me enormously about um, and that brings everything about leadership, about communication, about delivery and success in a different environment, you have to adapt really mm. well to succeed and to, to to still be there supporting 20 years later and uh, and enjoying it. And, and my directness, albeit softened, being appreciated, it actually cuts through a lot of the jargon and they enjoy some straight talk every now and again. So that, that's, that's, that's what we've been doing. That's what I've been doing, enjoying it thoroughly. Okay. And it'll be interesting just to pick up on a bit of that conversation around you know, the public sector and diplomacy and, and things being done in, you know, in a more, I suppose, political way, rather than that more direct commercial way. Have you seen over the 20 years, not just your approach, you know, changing things and the changing of others like you coming into the civil service, but do you think the civil service and the public sector is changing to be more commercial? It is. It's desperately trying. Um, so the, the, the government commercial function and the government commercial organisation is trying to help uh, the people that run a lot of these programs become more commercial. Mm. Uh, so they've got a series of assessments out there. They've got a plan. And one thing that, that people don't realize, it's not just about the procurement. Procurement has been focused on for the last uh, 30 years since the public uh, contracts regulations were introduced. Um, so that's nothing new. Procurement has had such a focus, though, because you can get legally challenged for it. But what they forgot was actually when you've got the contract and the supplier on board, how do you then manage them? Mm. And diplomacy doesn't always work. No. So you've got to be commercially astute, commercially advanced to be able to drive the best from these very large organizations that are commercially advanced. And, and that's what they're trying to get on top of. But when they say they've got 2,000 people uh, running commercial contract management they haven't they've got over 30,000 people who operate these contracts wow so you get a procurement person sign the contract no legal challenge whoop you do lob it over the fence and then these technical specialists who are excellent at what they do economists whether it's the foreign office or the health sector they're not trained in commercial contract management and it's only now over the last few years, starting to become more prevalent that there is genuine contract management. So yes, I'm I'm pleased to say, but will it be fast? No, not at all. It's going to take mm. it's going to take a generation to get there to really get those skills. Yeah, but I suppose that's no different, is it, to a very large, um, you know, PLC that has its issues and procurement and contracts don't speak, and it can be the same in a lar any large organisation. It doesn't necessarily mean that's just public sector focused, does it? It, it can. Uh, I mean, I come from construction. I was literally buying nuts and bolts when I started my career 30 years ago and then, then got up to the heady heights of international rail systems and, and 
plethoras of schools and hospitals. Um, but there's a difference when there's a shareholder apply, mm. applied to it. There's a difference when uh, commercial um, success is, is differently rewarded. And the big word is accountability. Mm. So if you're in a, a large corporate, I, I'd suggest they actually are better at it because, because normally accountability goes with it. If your contract, your program, your service loses money, then someone wants to know why and yeah. somebody will be held accountable. Whereas in the public sector, whilst there is some form of accountability, it's normally run by groups and therefore it's it's not necessarily a single point of accountability. Uh, and it's much harder to develop that type of skill set and that type of leadership style. Mm. So so I think it, I, I think it is different. Some pub, some private sector, large organizations, yes, they do they do not necessarily deliver the, the, the service that they, they might be perceived to do. You know, the, the blue chips, you think, oh, they must be fabulous at this. Yeah. And then you get in there and go, oh my God, they're awful at this. Uh, it does happen. We've 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 been there. We we still work with the private sector and there's still lessons to be learned there as well. So for sure. But there's a different mentality about it as to who's slamming the desk. <laughs> who's slamming the desk? What a great phrase. Hopefully nobody in this modern age, but <laughs> it does happen. <laughs> um so tell us about Augmentus. You know, you formed the company in 2015. Uh, what does Augmentus do and how do you help the public and private sector as an organization? So the primary focus of setting up Augmentus was it, it's effectively it, it's the the conduit between the public and the private sector, and because my background is all largely commercial, it has br uh, branched into program management, project management, everything to do with delivery of services. But but procurement and commerciality was a key part of it. Buying from the private sector, so we would go in and over the last twenty years and help better procurement. So. The, the complex projects. One of the my favourite was the Houses of Parliament's uh, renovation and renewal. So that was mm. a multi-billion pound. The Houses of Parliament have never done anything like it since it was built uh, in the 1860s. So therefore, they didn't have the skill sets internally. So they needed people who've done something like this before. And that's where we come in, is where that we don't get us just to do your standard procurement. There are many, many specialists mm. in the public sector and help from the private sector that can help. We try to get involved when it's a bit tricky, when the environment's tricky or where the, where the actual context is challenging. But when having built up all of this experience in the public sector, we were getting calls from the private sector saying, so we've failed this bid, not one that we were procuring. How, how can we do better? Mm. And this, this started years ago when I'd literally got recommended, this guy can help you uh, go through your tender and tell you where you failed. And that spun into the helping the private sector bid. Okay. And, and therefore, we, we were able to, to explain how the public sector works, why it works that way, and therefore be, help the private sector navigate the journey that is the public sector procurement and therefore be more successful because they understand the journey better. And it is quite a journey, isn't it? And well, one of the things that, you know, smaller businesses, SMEs, normally are very nervous about entering any sort of tender process with the public sector and there's some great opportunities there for smaller yes. businesses as well yes. you know clearly there's the size of contracts that you're dealing with which is you know the blue chips and the plcs but you know the local authorities and and that have the like of contracts that and they put them out that would be attractive to smes but smes tend to be nervous about applying because of the amount of red tape and not understanding the process so quite a big question glenn what could SMEs do better? Uh, right. There's a couple of things there. Public sector procurement, when I used to train in it uh, years ago, 
I, I came up with this expression, it, it's all about the journey, not about the destination. So you follow that. So you follow the procedures, and whichever organisation wins, wins. But it's but regardless of whether it's the right answer, mm-hmm. that's the key thing. It's following the process well will get you a supplier, but it doesn't mean to say you've got the right supplier or the best solution because there's many flawed procurement processes. So when it comes to the, the SME market, now the SME market is a misnomer because. 97% of organizations, in fact, I think it might be more, but 97% of organizations in the UK are SMEs. Hmm. And that's because it's defined as 35 million turnover or 250 staff, which is quite hmm. large nowadays, actually. So is. the M is actually quite large. So when it comes to SMEs, a lot of people think tiny businesses, micro hmm. businesses, under 10 and under 10 employees, one or two million. It isn't. It's actually, it should be the, the 1 million to 35 million is the, 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 the S to the M. Now, should they or shouldn't they bid for it? It's, it's critical because we have a series of, of, of training programs for small organisations as to whether they should or shouldn't bid. And the first part is that every organisation can bid because there's £50,000 contracts going on all the time. In local authorities and central government, there's, there's 100000 there's 200000 They're not all multi-million pounds, and the very many of them are advertised. So don't despair that goes, I can't do it because I'm not big enough, because that's, that's, that's not the answer. The second one is, where do you find them? A lot of people don't know. We've, we've got various things on our website which show people, guide people how to find them better, how to find opportunities, mm-hmm. whether they're advertised or whether they're actually just on their local authorities' website. So how to get access to them. And they are the £50,000 ones and hundred because they want local organisations to help. Yeah. So finding them is the second challenge. The the third one is, is quite a key one is, is understand what they're actually wanting. So sell to the customer what they want to buy, not what you're selling. Mm. And it's a nuance in there. Is And I would go back to this little story, an anecdote that we make tables, we make loads, loads of tables, the fabulous tables. Look, there's a tender for tables there. We'll do that one. Oh, we lost. How did we lose? Because they didn't yeah. read the, the actual detail information because actually it was a table for Buckingham Palace. Yeah. So I can do any table you want, but can you do that table? And and that's the key thing is reading and choosing, uh, sorry, uh, learning the right documents to read because there are a plethora of documents. <laughs> there certainly is. That, that's what blind people, but there's only really three documents that you need. Statement of requirements, what do they want? Uh, the evaluation criteria, how are they going to score you? Uh, and then the instructions to tenders, how does it work? Three, three documents, the rest is noise. Yeah. But if you get so if you follow those three steps, you should be pretty much in for a shout and then just read the question, read the evaluation and just answer it. Don't yes. think you're answering what you want to answer. Answer what they want. Yeah, it's like doing an exam, I suppose. You shall be judged. Exactly. Read the question twice before <laughs> starting. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> Definitely. And so I suppose, you know, I suppose the S in SMEs, I agree that one to 30 five million or you know it's the one to ten that probably should be tendering more and don't and and are showing away i suppose it's what the government can do to encourage more of those kind of businesses to put in tenders and and to to be successful in the process and it's probably about education isn't it from what you're saying 
it is about education, but the government's been trying this. They had an, what was called the SME agenda to get 33% of all contracts let to SMEs. Um, now, I, I've got a bit of a conflict here because some of the contracts people just shouldn't be bidding for. SMEs have not got the capability to deliver them, which are the big and the ugly ones. So let's not kid ourselves that it's all disaster when the big boys win. You want them to take the risk. That's why they have the premium. They're a mm. large organisation. Everyone else should have a go. And I think they're trying to get to 60-odd percent of organisations or, or work being delivered by SMEs. Now, it doesn't mean to say that you are the prime that's a key thing as well. Not SMEs, all SMEs should bid for the work directly. No. Find out who won it because they're advertised. Find out who's bidding for it. And there's a, can we, we're a specialist in this. We do this. We're a specialist in the service. Can we white label behind you? Can we provide you the service as part of a, a team? So yeah. there are different ways of skinning the cat. And that takes, that takes a bit more ambition, a bit more commitment to find those routes but you find somebody who's already delivering the services and they haven't got the chink, the, the, the one thing that you do, then go to them and say, actually, I do that, so I'll be your subcontractor. Yeah. So there are plenty of opportunities. Again, it's the guiding them to get to those opportunities. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, it's a, I think it's a kind of watch this space, particularly in this sort of new world, as people are saying that we're in, hmm. but there is opportunity there, definitely, isn't there? Yeah. So you talk about um, also being very key to you is having strong business principles so what does strong business principles mean to you glenn i love it it's such nonsense isn't it everyone should have strong business principles <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of like mean? one of those words isn't it? all Phrases, those multi-billion yeah. pound organizations they've got no business principles at all of course we all have them there's one guiding one um that that has always that we've always succeeded in delivering which is doing the right thing and I'm not being pious about this. It, it is genuinely every time we've sort of like made the wrong decision, tried to get a bit woo and a bit way, as my mum would say, it's always come back and bitten us in the bum. So doing the right thing, being transparent, being open. Uh, if you can't do it, say you can't do it. If you're charging a price, charge a reasonable price. If you're going to add more value add, do it. Yeah. You know, give value back. If you're, if you're talking about social value, do it. So everything we do is about, it's about walking the walk. It is about doing the right thing and never never just doing it chasing the money. Because every time you chase the money, chase the numbers, your behaviours change. Yeah. And when your behaviours change, everything walks away from you because you look desperate, you look urgent, you the wrong measure. As soon as you say, let's tell you what, we're okay, we're fine, let's just do the right thing, say the right thing, turn up and do do what we say we're going to do. It always comes back, and we've had we've grown because of that. Every single yeah. time, all of our work, probably ninety five percent of our work is through reputation and recommendation. That's brilliant, isn't it? I mean, that's a key statistic, isn't it, to have? So something you'll love, Warren, is that we're really good at tendering, but we're rubbish at tendering for ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> it's the cobbler's shoes, is it? Exactly that. It's exactly that. I say that expression all the time, cobbler's children's shoes. Yeah. Uh, but we can bid for it with other people. We're fantastic at it. But when it comes to ourselves, we have to outsource our bidding to someone else to help us to bid. <laughs> but a lot of our customers, and, we, we, and we, we've had some customers, and th this is a demonstration of it, we'll do a free review of a tender. We've got one company, which uh, a customer of ours who is fantastic and our favourite uh, private sector customer. I won't say who it is because all the others will get upset. But the because uh, we're that important, <laughs> um, we did a free review of the tender and we gave them free advice as to how they could do better. 
then they said, well, can you have a look at our response to this one question of part of a tender, 200 pounds. We did a review of that. We said, this is okay. This needs improvement. This is how we'd score it. Two years later, we're doing a million pounds a year with them because it's just because you do the right thing. You don't chase the big numbers and you build up the trust, you build up the credibility and then it grows from there. Yeah. And and that's how great business relationships are formed and last and have longevity, which you know, for me is the important about business relationships. It's about, Absolutely. it's easy to make that quick pound, isn't it? It's about having that relationship and the value that it brings over a 15, 20 year longevity yeah. and time frame. It makes a huge difference. doesn't it, it really does. And when you've done something wrong, you put your hand up and you say, we've done that wrong. And you build, it just builds upon itself. And, and the, the yeah. great talking ability we have with each other is great. Yeah. And but I think that's where businesses like yours and mine can be when you when you are owner managed when you are independent and you have principles and values as an individual and you reflect those in your business. That's when you can act and behave in that it's way, a, isn't it, Glenn? It it is an anxiety. Where at which size? Because I'm sure you know all the top consultancies started off exactly the same model. Yeah. But at what point do you get to a size where it becomes money based or growth or different types of demands and the and the and the true values? of the originator are diluted somewhat. Hmm. It's interesting, isn't it? But I, I suppose that comes sometimes down to do your personal values reflect into the values of the business? And they have to. And they have to. And that needs to be a focus and a continual focus, doesn't it? But that's it, about who you hire as well and who you bring oh, in. And, and then the leadership and therefore everyone you hire and that people people understand who you are and they they there's an expression that nobody ever leaves a company they leave a manager mm. and I, I quite support that um in the sense that if you if you communicate and you're open with people they will learn to trust you respect you and therefore deliver for you and hopefully embody your values as well as, as a mentor as a coach to some degree mm. and everyone's made hiring mistakes but if you can do that and, and try, and I've made huge mistakes and I've, I've learned along the way, but um, it is critical that if you can live and breathe that, you'll hire people in your own style and they will live and breathe it and therefore it will perpetuate across the company. Definitely. It's not about having a poster on a wall about what your values are. It's how the actual behavior reflects exactly in the organization, isn't it? Absolutely. Definitely. And interestingly, look, looking on your LinkedIn profile, doing a little bit of research over the last couple of years, you've also sort of invested in some businesses as well, Glenn. So interested to understand what do you look for in investment opportunities? What is it that you're looking to invest in? So I, I use this expression, uh, good things or by good people. Okay. And maybe it's, I don't know, maybe my conscience catching it with me as I get older. Now it's, it's where people actually want to do better and they want to give something back. There's an altruism. They might get a personal benefit out of it, but there's an altruism to actually trying to do the right thing again. So um, I don't invest all of the time. Uh, I'm very careful about how I invest. And my my one of them I truly enjoy is, is the organization Me Place. Okay. And I've always I've always thought, I mean, I've, I've got four children. Uh, I know you've got two. Um, yeah. And and everyone always wants to be a better parent, and we all we all fail. Absolutely, we yeah. all we're all investing in future counselling for our kids. But as we learn and we grow more, um, and we learn more about the the human psyche, how children grow and, and develop, uh, I've always thought about getting involved in nurseries. I've talked okay. about years, and but how to get involved? Because realistically, you need someone who can run it. 
but there was there was um I, I was made aware of this me place uh, a young lady called Vlada and she had a four-year-old and she wanted to set up uh, a nursery that was different to any other nursery. It was going to have an app. It was going to be for the, the new generation of parents, which are the late 20s and early 30s, that are very different to when I was a, a young parent, even though I was, I was the same age, but it's different cultural change. And it was going to be all about education, six key things, it's all about physical education, mental well-being, spiritual well-being, and I'm not talking religion there, it's, it's yeah. mindfulness. Mindfulness, yeah. Mindfulness, diet, exercise, play. And therefore, advice from various written doctors and experts to help people. And when you see that, that's that's exactly what I could have helped, would have helped me enormously, whether it's an app that's getting a push, five bullet points to say how you could be better, how you could learn, how you can grow, how your child. And and I invested in this and I, I kept investing in it and I became a, a strategic board advisor for them. And uh, I will no doubt be a director with two or three of the shareholders. And it's gone, we've got our first premises uh, that opened in November in lockdown, which was thought an unheard bonkers. of. <laughs> Absolutely bonkers. Uh, why were we doing this? Because it started sort of like mid last year. We opened it in November and we're now looking at further investment to open a second already. So, wow. and, and the feedback we're getting from the parents and the kids is absolutely brilliant. So it's the right, it's all the right mentality, doing the right things better than I ever did it as a parent. I'm absolutely honest. And my kids will hell with laughter at me for this. <laughs> but obviously other kids are going to get benefit from my learning. <laughs> <laughs> your benefit. And what impact do you think you've obviously led an entrepreneurial life? What impact do you think your entrepreneurial life has had on your four children? Oh, that, that was a tough one, was that? To think about... Because I'll be honest, even I've always been entrepreneurial. I, I, I'm, I hate the expression; it's such a badge now. Yeah. But I've always been um, inquisitive about doing things better. My mum and my parents were. Uh, we we came from very very little and, and from a seaside town, Bridlington in the northeast, and they always strived to do better. So they set up. They had a cafe. They had a bed and breakfast. They had a hotel. They and it grew and grew just through dogged determination and to yeah. to, to try hard. But even when I went into into industry, I was still doing 16-hour days. So whether I'm working for myself and running a business or, or whether I'm working for someone else, that's who I am. Yeah. So do they see more of me because I'm an entrepreneur, for want of a better expression, yeah. and free and loose with my time? No. Um, am, I, am I better placed? Would I be a good employee anymore? No. So I'm probably my, my mind is probably more at peace because I can be who I want to be in these yeah. industries and choose where I invest my time and hopefully get more satisfaction out of it. So the family will benefit from that, but they know when my head is down and I'm I'm all guns yeah. blazing and trying to work my. So last year we were trying to help in the PPE from procurement. We we're trying to help the PPE. I was working seven days a week from the start of the pandemic through till about June July, trying to get good PPE from around the world. And we had all these other sorts of the new sort of people doing it less good. Yeah. But, so we were trying all sorts of things. So it's always the same, but but I've probably got a better peace of mind because I'm doing what I want to do. And that's probably yeah. what this, this environment allows me to do. And that's what they see as you as a father, I suppose. I hope so. That impact. Yeah, and well, let's hope so too. Yeah. Um, so you talk about um, sort of hard work and, you know, hard work, but you've also talked about with the investment in, this nursery about you know mindfulness and doing the right thing and all of those kind of things how do you get balance in your life 
how do you how do you get that compromise between hard work and looking after yourself i don't okay that's an I, honest answer I, it's, it, I genuinely i'm rubbish at it and i, I and i'll be absolutely honest the pandemic helped me as i i know it was it was terrible and an awful thing to do but and i think there's got to be some positives that came out of it and the positive that came out for me was was an opportunity to to just to step back a little bit uh, and i've i've always been ambitious i've always wanted to succeed but i've never really stopped and enjoyed it i've always mm -hmm. just worked harder um and and we have a, a good quality of life we have some nice holidays but we're not the richest kids in the village um so so what did it do it allowed me to step a little bit further back and say actually what what is interesting what what is that balance like what am i not doing if i'm sat here all day long working from home which is great we had all four kids with us for the entirety of lockdown and they're 29 down to 16 now oh so wow that was a household fall it was a challenge <laughs> but, but also it was fabulous it was it yeah. was a real learning opportunity but i've always been into cars and i'm sat there looking at this really nice car of mine that was depreciating like buggery for one for a better word <laughs> i'm going why have i always done that so and um, what else am i not doing that i'm enjoying that i should enjoy life because it's it is too short so over the last year i've uh, started to teach myself piano okay i got rid of my nice big car and got a mini and i love it and Brilliant. and i tried and finally succeeded two weeks ago in passing my motorbike test Oh. And I bought a motorbike, much to my family's entire horror. <laughs> I can just imagine if I did that, yeah, the oh. shock and the horror. <laughs> I, mean, I go everywhere and say, yes, this is my midlife crisis. I was going to say, is it your midlife crisis, Claire? <laughs> it's a little stereotypical. <laughs> However, it's, it's changed enormously in what I invest. Because in that same year, I've invested in Me Place, mm -hmm. and I've become a non-executive director of The Wise Group, which is astoundingly good in terms of what they do. The good for the people is phenomenal. What they, And it's, it's made me... A lot more humble, I'd like to think. Great, yeah, and I think all of us that went through that, you know, everybody that's gone through that process, of the pandemic, particularly as business owners, and particularly perhaps if we've got families, you know, appreciated that spending a bit more time with our families or around our families was something we enjoyed. And we're seeing quite a lot of businesses and uh, leaders that we work with just tweaking their lifestyle slightly. And I think that's a good thing, isn't it? That's that yeah. is, as you say, there's been so much negativity and so much hurt caused by the pandemic but some positivity comes from it things like that um could be a legacy couldn't it you talked about the wise group yes. um and it was one of those things that again was intrigued when i had a look and did a bit of research behind so tell me about the wise group what they do and why you're involved so the wise group is there's two we work with is the wise group and the st giles trust but i'm a non-executive director of the wise group that they, they they are partners in this world and they their, their reason for being is to help people have a second chance. So whether they've got they've gone into to prison for whatever reason, is helping them become part of society again. And we we're, we're terrible as a, as 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 a grown organisation that is the world and, and the people that go into prison. It's always against them afterwards. How they got there is, is not for judging. It's not for me to judge whether they did or didn't do anything right or wrong. It's how do we make them don't help them not do it again? How do we actually get them into society, earn the right money, gain the self-respect and, and uh, support that they require and therefore not commit again or not do anything again and change their environment? And it, 
the, I think the national average is about eight or nine percent are truly successful at not going back into some form as where where the wise group are in some areas nearly 30 percent wow so it's a huge difference that's a and huge impact no, it really is. It really is. And they've, they've, but it, and it's not just finding them a job. It's helping them understand how to claim benefits. And it's helping them with education. It's helping them with understanding how they can live more efficiently and effectively with their heating bills and helping them with heating bills. Because it's, it's the little things that will drive them to, I need more money. Or it's the, the, the gang culture or it's the drug culture. How to educate and help and support these people emotionally and practically. Now, I must admit, I'm, I'm absolutely going to confess, I didn't know anything about them till uh, a colleague and now friend of mine went and became the chair of the WISE group. And okay. he and I he and I just get on like a house. I mean, it's more him, actually. He's just a lovely bloke. I don't know anybody who's got a bad word to say about him. And, and I'm on that bandwagon. And, and that's Neil McLaughlin. And, and he's the chair of the WISE group. And his chief executive, uh, Sean Duffy, is absolutely bang on the money in terms of living the right values dreaming the right values and is such a good communicator and leader that um that when when neil went there he said look we we need to do more of what we do and help other government other government demands other people so they started wanting to bid into the ministry of justice so neil reached out to me and said can you help us do some bidding yeah. And I went, oh, okay, then I don't, we've not done that sector before, but we're pretty um, pretty fluid about that. And it was from that point forward, me and the team, we started reading and learning more about these people, and they, they humbled us again. It was just, these are fabulous people. And they are, and every single one of them, the, the statistics, the surveys they've done internally, the support they get, the successes they have, wow. And when, when uh, Neil... Uh, asked and Sean asked kindly if I'd be a non-executive director. It was show me, show me where to sign. Yeah. The hard way is what what do I do? What can I do? I, I I've got none of those skills. I, I'm not built that way. I'd love to be, uh, but how can my skill set help you? And that that's where it's early days. I've only been to one board meeting so far, uh, but it's but it's use my skills and experience however it can help you. And that that's that's all it's about. And utmost respect to you, because I think that that's something we forget, again, as business owners and business leaders, is that we have a skill set. And sometimes, you know, you talk about corporate social responsibility. And, you know, again, it's a bit like values, isn't it? There's a lot of people talk about it, but how do you actually do it? And I think it's really important that us as business owners reflect about what our organisations do mm. and how they can impact and positively impact entities in the third sector and, and how we can bring our skill sets in. It's not about all about the money it's about exactly. how can we help how can we assist and it's great to see all mentors do that with the wise group and then that obviously lead to you feeling very passionate which is clear from from our conversation oh, it's, it's great and, and it's a it's a volunteer role so it, it's yeah. all i can give you is my time and my expertise and, and if you if it helps in any way fab and, that, and that's what we do and and we we still help them in, in winning work obviously Augmentus isn't a charity, but but it's massively discounted, almost not for profit, because it is the right thing to do. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, a really interesting conversation. I, I suppose one of the things you know is things have changed for you over the last few years. So, what next? What next for Glenn? What next for Augmentus? So, Augmentus is is growing, and I, and I mean that emotionally as and maturing mm. as much as financially. We. We're, we're pleased with with our customer base in terms of the relationships we have. We've just secured a fabulous to be one of only thirty odd companies on a on a, a 
cross-government framework specializing in what we do the first time we've had the opportunity to have a go for it last four years which is a real springboard we're hoping yeah, to see you. where it's growing in the public sector and because we're we're really getting quite renowned there we're, we're helping more of the private sector so augmentus is growing in that sense and, and we're hiring we're, we're we're trying to hire in our likes that we've got the right values and try and keep adding that value to that so so that that's hopefully heading in the right direction mm. um the in terms of longer term than that is is that within five years me and the management team we we all want the same thing which is it's not being a consultant it's not being a recruiter it's not being bid writers it's actually how can we create augmentus in a way that then frees us up to do more wise group work more yeah. more stuff that we're passionate about individually so everyone's got their objectives of what makes them tick what makes them passionate about what it is and it's not work so mike who's uh, one of our directors he he's into helping kids and happiness he's into the green agenda so what can we do what skill sets have we got that can invest in that sector so by building up a capability across augmented as well how do we then take any investment that we have as time and money into new sectors that do what we want to do. Okay. So that's, and, and that's, I never, I, I never, when I grew up, thought I'm going to be a procurement person. I never thought I'm going to be a consultant. <laughs> that's like the dullest thing ever. But what, when, when it got to the point of what do I want to do is augment us to have sufficient capability that I can have time to do what I really want to do, what I'm passionate about. And that's helping these good people in small uh, with, with great ideas and invest in them and give them my time and some money and hopefully grow them and to do what they're going to do. That's, that's the ambition. Brilliant. That's a great ambition and a great objective. Well, I suppose what I would ask you, and I suppose it would help some of the listeners of the podcast, is it feels like you've had a very sort of grown up and joined up conversation at a senior leadership level within Augmentus to get to the point to know that that's where you're heading. How did you go about doing that? Because time and time again, they are difficult conversations to have and people as a result are scared of having them. You're absolutely spot on there, Warren. And, and where do you start? And, and this, actually, there's one of your questions. What is your why? Yeah. And it was the book as well. Is it Simon Sinek? It is the Simon Singh book, yeah. What yeah. is your why? Yeah, and um, I remember I've always I've always wanted to do things differently. I've always been a bit of a pain in everyone else's backside. I'll be honest. By challenging, can't it be done better? It comes from my mother, I have to say, because uh, always had to do better, uh, the right sort of thing. Uh, but the why do we do this is exactly that conversation we've just had. It isn't to be a consultant. It isn't to do what we do. Just it's not to have a job. Hmm is to do something differently. So I got the team together, um, the management team, was it last year, the year before? Year before. And we, um, and I said, right, I need to have this conversation about why we doing what we do, then what do we do it? And then how do we do it that's different? And we went, we, we spent an entire day and it started off with, well, to make more money. Nope, that's, lift your head up a little bit, lift your head up a little and, and that's what it was. And then, then it was partnership, and we, we actually recorded them. We actually recorded this session and played okay. it. And any new starter gets to listen to this session and wow. play through. And it's really, it's me feeling cringy, awful in front of a video, <laughs> awful at it. But why do we do it? it was try, literally trying to say, why do this? We've got, to, it's got to be bigger. It's got to be better. And I'm not talking about monetarily. It's got to be bigger than us. And yeah. by the end of that, and we did it again last year. We did it again only last week. Why? 
and we do it regularly to remind ourselves that the the eyes is on a different sort of prize yeah and then by understanding that okay so what do we do and how do we do it that's going to get us to the why and as part of everyone's objectives is what what's in this for you what's your objective how can we help you so zoe who's uh one of the management team what 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 are you passionate about and what can augment us do to help you get there? Yeah. And everyone has that conversation and I push them all the time. What, what is it? And she's into equestrian work. She's her and her husband are hugely into it. Right. Okay. How can whatever we do give you the time or the financial investment or the support for what you want to achieve? Hmm. So do you do that. Do you do that with every single member of your team? Yes. That's incredible. Yeah. So, I mean, we're not massive, but, no. but you know, when we've got a thousand employees, it might be a bit of a challenge. But the, <laughs> yeah, the, but the idea is that if I'm not doing it, that the the next leader's doing it, and the leader of yeah. that function. And notice, I say leader, not manager. Yeah. It's how, the, how, okay. Define those terms and define what a leader is and what a manager is for me. So, a manager looks downwards. It's out. It's outputs and outcomes. It's measurable targets. Yeah. Everyone does need a bit of management. Everyone does need to have specific tasks. A leader's about behaviours and setting standards and actually people wanting... You follow a leader, you do as your manager asks. Yeah. And and you want to do both to the best, but but you have leaders. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm an aspiring leader. I, don't, I would never say I'm going to get there. I'm there. A lot of people, I hope, are the same, that you just try your best and sometimes yeah. you you fail and then you'll... I mean, I, I asked somebody today about one of your questions. What are, what are my... What's my best strength and my worst? And be honest. Yeah. brutal <laughs> but it was great because it's true i looked and went yep you're spot on there <laughs> <laughs> um and that's the difference is, is is being able to be open and accept criticism and make mistakes and put your own hand up which hopefully helps everyone else say actually if he's willing to, if he's able to make mistakes and he runs the company mm. i'm allowed to make mistakes. everyone's allowed to mistakes don't make it three times for crying out loud learn but we all make mistakes so that's the it difference. is and but I think that's about it's a great explanation, and it, it yeah it does you know it does explain that difference between the two. But I think it's about having a growth mindset as a leader. Absolutely, that's the latest term for it. Yes. Yeah, but it is, isn't it? And I think in my whole journey is there was a spell where I thought I was it. I thought I'd made it. I thought. Oh yes, I, I remember that. Didn't days. that? And didn't that? You know, and it's ten years plus ago, but didn't it catch me out? And it was only then that I learned I've got to continue to want to develop and grow as an individual yes and that's how i become a better leader i like that because it's there's a difference between uh personal ambition yeah and professional ambition and when when the ambition is outside of yourself you become an enormously better person and better mm. leader and better colleague yeah. uh, when it, when you're out for yourself so you want to, i wanted to be a director i became a director at 29 of a billion pound firm my god i was on that but don't get in my way on my way there. I must have been an awful person to work with for otherwise, because that was personal ambition. Then you get to a point where it's beyond that, and that's that personal growth, that mindset, mm -hmm. growth mindset, where you say, actually, it, it, I, I, I've sufficient now. People say, what do you, do you want money? How much money is enough? It's irrelevant. Yep. Am I a multimillionaire? No. Am I really comfortable? Yes, but I'm happy with that. But it's more than that now, and that's that's the growth mindset. Is that it's beyond personal ambition, and how can you, how can you exploit, expand, help other people go beyond their personal ambition?
definitely and that does reflect you know i think you you say and have done in during the course of this conversation again so clearly i'm going to have to ask you the question now yeah. greatest strength greatest weakness what was the response you had when you posed <laughs> that question <laughs> it was um so it, it was it was nicely put it, it was very generous uh and i and i did agree I, I did agree with both the the strength is intuition and okay. whether that's in and I, I think this genuinely comes from my parents. They, they were hard taskmasters. They, they taught us to have a good work ethic, but always challenge, uh, challenge the norm and therefore and have an intuition that it could be done better. And it's whether you go to a high street coffee shop and you're stood in the queue going, why have they got two people taking money and one person making coffee? That takes 10 times longer than this. And you're all queuing, but you're all willing to queue. And it's everywhere you go, try and say, you know, I think this could be done different. I think you've done better. Yeah. And that intuition and 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 as as it was Mike who told me, it, it was generous in the sense that that it's it's normally true. That that the intuition that gut is, feeling, is, yeah. Follow yeah. the gut feeling. Yeah. And you go, right, okay, that's 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 really generous of that. And and I have to agree with it. So it's the intuition. Now the worst is and I don't know, because some people will say this is a backhanded, but it's I obsess over the small things. Hmm. Sometimes at the failing of the big things and and also and part of this is when you obsess over the small things there are reasons for why i am and there are reasons for i and i could argue this as a positive yeah, you're starting to collect the, the, the clear negative is that it can stifle their growth yeah. if i do everything my way and everyone does everything my way then it's only ever going to be as good as me and that's the true negative of it is that if by by stifling their own creativity their way is good enough it's different to mine that's it yeah. that's my weakness if i can change that and stand back a bit more then but that that is and i thought that was fair and yes i overly obsess on the small things <laughs> at, yeah. sometimes at the risk of the greater but that's about setting organizational objectives isn't it and, and knowing that people are as long as people are doing the right thing in the right way to get to what the objective of the organization is yes. sometimes as the leader as the organization grows and again i've learned this lesson you've just got to accept they're not going to do it your way you do and you you have, it's like kids you've got to trust that they'll find their own way and it'll be okay absolutely yeah and it, that's the hardest thing is to hands off as, as owner managers as you say where are we hands on or are we hands in i love yeah. this little expression your hands in hands on hands off we all want yeah. to be hands off i don't think i'm built for hands off uh, it's one of the problems I have with that uh, with the wise group. I just want to get involved, and I can't. <laughs> I have to advise. I'm hands yeah. off. So yeah, if if we can help them create and be that way, that, then that's a fabulous step. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, maybe the wise group. The thing it will do for you, and it will teach you to be hands off. Hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> in the right way. But again, that is one of the challenges of leading a business, isn't it? Because you've got to be all three. Yes, you, you do. You can't, you know, in a small independent owner managed business you it's, can't just you you'll know the same warren you set up your business it, it is what it is because of you it's your values first then you find other people that that agree with your values and support your values and I hope that's how it will passionate be. about it yeah but it'll be where's warren where's glenn and but i remember the time when i was called into a customer with a group said right we've retained augmentus to help us with this and i and it was like a really big moment that it wasn't We've got Glenn in, yeah. And it was like, oh my god, we're, we're there now. Yeah. We are, we are a thing. We are augmentus, and it was, 
it was augmentus. It was it was brilliant. But that is so, but that's down to your quality, your standards. The, the reason we have such a high tenor rate was because of this attention to detail. So there are real good strengths behind it, but don't let them stifle. Definitely. Right. One final question. It is called the Evolve to Succeed podcast. It is. I think we've touched on this during the course of the conversation anyway. What, truly, what does success mean to you, Glenn? It's a great and awful question. Um, what does it... Now, I would say now balance. Okay. And it's not the work-life balance because everyone else, everyone has a different balance. It's it's balance of your mind and balance of your time. I, I have no issues working seven days a week if it's in the right places, the right courses. I have no problems not working a Thursday if I want to go and do my motorbike license or I want to go and attend a board for the wise group. And if, if you can get that balance in all things in life, that's what success looks like. For me, it's getting the time that I want to spend and I want to travel. It's, it's getting the, the finances behind us that allow us to do that. It's getting the team around us that are happy in their work and you can leave them to get on with it. It's balance. That's, that's how I see success great definition glenn and i've loved our conversation thank you for being a great guest on the podcast thank you warren i've loved it more than i thought it would i have said it before but one of the great pleasures i get from hosting this podcast is being able to sit down with like-minded individuals and have an open and honest discussion around challenging topics whilst also gaining new insights into both professional and personal ways of seeing things This discussion with Glenn was certainly one of those. I love what he said about growth within a company, not just referring to financial growth, but emotional growth as well. And I was inspired by his attitude and enthusiasm for volunteering his time and expertise to other organisations. I think one of the joys and privileges of being an experienced business owner is being able to use your wisdom to guide others on their journeys. I think this is especially good when you offer your skills to a business you might be unfamiliar with. By doing this, you challenge yourself and learn while also giving of yourself. So it's a win for everybody. If you aren't already offering your skills and knowledge to other organisations, I hope Glenn's insights will inspire you to start looking at how you can do this. It's something that is so worthwhile. Thank you for listening. And if you do want to learn more about Evolve, then please do go to evolvemembers.com. You can register there for our weekly insights and newsletter, as well as learn about the services that we offer at Evolve including our peer groups, one-to-one coaching, courses for teams, as well as our lovely co-working space in Ashley Cross in Paul. And if you are a business leader in Dorset and Hampshire, then I'm really excited to be able to say that through the Dorset LEP and the Solent LEP, we have some fully funded peer network and peer group programs that we can offer to you. So if you want to learn more, again, go to the website or please call the team. I really do hope you've enjoyed this episode and if so, please help us by rating, reviewing and subscribing and listening to future episodes. Thank you for listening.